it's been really a blessing to hear how many in the church have responded to be a part of our foundations Bible study, discipleship uh, a course that is beginning this semester. Um, Mike and Chris are doing a wonderful job of, of teaching that. I think we have around 30 or a few over 30 that have responded to coming and being a part of that class, which requires a little bit of homework and accountability and coming to that, that class and session. As for this first Foundations class, they talk about what does it mean to, to study the Bible? What does it it mean to, to look at the text critically in, a, in, in the context of trying to understand what it said to the original believers or the original hearers, what it would say to us now. And so I, I want to encourage you to maybe find the opportunity as we continue to offer foundations opportunities for you to come and to be involved. I think the book of Ephesians offers us uh, an important example of the importance of knowing how to study the Bible and, and to receive this as a letter from Paul and to understand that it was only after years and generations later, a thousand, fifteen hundred years even, that we began to, to read and to separate the scripture by chapter and verse. And so as we talked about last week, the first part of, of Ephesus, or the, the letter to the Ephesians, really is, is a, more of a doctrinal study in chapters, what we call chapters 1 through 3. And then we noted this big transition last week as we began into chapter 4, which is a um, more of a practical explore, exploration and understanding of how we're to live out the Christian life. And so really chapters 4, 5, and 6 are meant to be understood together. And yet we have these artificial uh, chapter and verse divisions that sometimes create uh, some separation that I don't think is intended. And I'll use my Bible and the way it's presented as an example. In chapter 5, there's a significant pause, or should we say there's a significant gap between verses 21 and 22. So that when you begin verse 22, it immediately starts by saying, Wives, submit to your husbands. And if you'll notice, there's a, there's a gap there. And what that does is that gives us permission to begin reading that chapter or that section at verse 22. And the reality is, is you cannot read verse 22 separated from the rest of the letter and particularly from the verse that follows or that, 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 uh, that comes before verse 22. In fact, if you'll look at your, your translation in verse 22, uh, if your scripture, your translation is like mine, you'll notice that the word submit or to be subject is in italics. That's because the word submit and to be subject is not found in the text in verse 22. Well, why does it say it there? Well, because you have to link it back up to verse 21, where that word, where that verb is at. So, you know, guys, I hate to say it, it's probably a bunch of guys that, that created these separations and wanted to separate that out as far as they could. So you started with, wives be subject. Um, but we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But like I said, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, are a unit that go together in this conversation of how are we to live the Christian life. If you'll remember... Back in the, the early chapters, we talked about, about salvation. Paul spends a great deal of time explaining salvation. He says that salvation, in, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he says that salvation 
comes by grace through faith. Salvation is a gift that comes from God. It's not from any kind of good works that we might do. It simply is, is through faith we receive God's gift of salvation. We receive His grace as we trust, as we have faith and believe that what God offers is true. And therefore we might receive that. So while becoming a Christian may seem to be more passive in the sense of only receiving and not working towards or earning, let's be sure that Paul transitions us, especially as we move into chapter 4, that the Christian life, that working out your salvation, is anything but passive. And last week we spent the, the day talking about how we might walk in Christ. How we might walk in a manner worthy of this gift of salvation, this grace gift that God has given us. And in chapter 4 we saw that the, basically the description of growing and maturing in the Christian life is that we take off and we put on. This is a very active lifestyle. This is a very active way of growing in our faith. And so as we grow and mature in the grace that we've been given, it becomes a series and a journey of learning to take off that which entangles, that which hinders us, to take off our sin, to take off that which is smelly and dirty in our lives, and to be renewed through the Spirit of God, and then to put on, to put on that which God desires for us, to put on His goodness and His love and His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. So as we continue to, to focus our thoughts on the mystery of the new self, let us be reminded that we're to continually be taking off the remnants of the old self and continually be putting on the new self that we have and are in Christ Jesus. So that when we get to chapter 4, verse 32, the last verse in chapter 4, Paul says, in summary, I think, that we're to be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, and then here's the key verse, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Our, our grace, our compassion, our kindness towards others, our forgiveness of others is founded upon God's willingness, God's activity on our part to bring forgiveness into our own lives. So therefore, in chapter 5, verse 1, we have this connector. Because we're to be kind and compassionate and forgiving as God is in Christ Jesus, therefore... We are to be imitators of God. Well, what does it mean to imitate God? Well, well I think, as Henry Blackaby would say in, in his work, Experiencing God, what it means to imitate God is to, to see and to observe, to be sensitive to what God is doing in our world and in our families, and then to join Him in that activity. Well, how do we know it's God's activity? Well, we know that as we read Scripture, as we, as we study His Word, as we, we see Him revealed in creation, as we see that God is a God of love and a God of justice, a God of kindness, a God of forgiveness, 
And as we see that beginning to to take place around us, then we know that we are called to imitate God in this way. So, So for many of us, as we grow and mature, it's about studying and learning about the character of God through Christ in the New Testament, seeing how God has revealed himself to us through the people of Abraham in the Old Testament. And as we see how God works and moves in those ways then we are to imitate God. But in case we need a little more clarification, in verse 2, we get a little more understanding of what it means to imitate God. It means to walk in love. Now, surely by now we've begun to notice that, that walking is, is a significant theme in Paul's letter to the, the, to the Ephesians. That we are to be walking it, that notes a, a journey, a destination, that we are making progress, that we're not just passive, but that we are active and engaged and walking. And Paul says that we are to walk in love. That's what it means to imitate God. And then notice this, these next few phrases. To walk in love as Christ gave himself up for us. In verse 2 here, I think Paul offers, if not the first, a significant clue as to the nature and the importance of submission in the Christ life. He doesn't use these words here, but is it what Paul's saying is we're to imitate God, we're to walk in love as Christ gave himself up for us, as Christ submitted himself to us. On the cross. Jesus gave himself for you and for me. And he gave himself out of love. Now again, in our culture, in our society, we have basically rendered the word love meaningless. Because love has so many different definitions and understandings and connotations in our culture and society. That to say the word love in many, many places today... It, does, it doesn't mean anything. But this definition of love, this agape love, is not the selfish pursuit of filling our own lusts and our own desires, of meeting our own pleasures, but rather this definition of love, of agape love, refers to acting in charitable and sacrificial ways towards other people. To act sacrificially to give charitably expecting nothing in return because when you give to charity you don't expect anything back and this is the definition of agape love and so we are to walk in this kind of love the kind of love that was exemplified by Christ on the cross notice down in verse 15 therefore be careful how you walk. Therefore, is again, is drawing our attention up to the verses above. Look, it's starting in verse 3. Paul is saying again, be careful how you walk. Well, why should we be careful with how we walk? Well, because here's the way that we might be tempted to walk. Verse 3, with immorality, with impurity, with greed. Verse 4, we might be tempted to walk in filthiness or silly talking. Coarse jesting. 
Verse 5, we might be tempted to walk in ways that are immoral and impure and covetous, in ways that are idolatrous. Verse 8, we might be tempted to walk in the darkness in which we formerly walked. Verse 11, we might be tempted to walk in ways that produce unfruitful deeds of darkness. We might be tempted to walk in ways in which we speak disgracefully in the secret where no one will know. Therefore, Paul says, therefore because of this this old way of life, take this off, put this off and embrace and put on a new way of walking. And in verse 15, he begins to to talk about the ways that we are to walk. Do not walk as unwise men, but walk as wise men and women. Put on wisdom. Don't be foolish, but understand. Seek to discern and know the the will of God. Don't be drunk with wine and the, the, the drinks of this world, but rather be drunk, be filled with the Spirit of God. And speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're to put on. Therefore, Paul says, be careful how you walk. And then this last phrase of the sentence that begins in verse 17. And be subject to one another. In the fear of Christ. Be careful how you walk. And one of the ways, the chief and significant ways that Paul describes and calls us to walk is to walk in the way of submission. Submission to each other. And to walk in submission out of reverence and fear of the Lord. And, and, and I like another word here instead of reverence or fear. What if we, it's the same word, the same meaning, but, but speaks a little differently, I think, in our contemporary culture. What if we translated it this way? We are to submit to one another in the awe of Christ. In the awe of what he did. He gave himself up for us. Paul has already reminded us. What if we submitted ourselves with the constant reminder of what Christ has done for us. And so we submit in the awe, the sheer awe, the surprise, the glory of what Christ has done for us. Now when we hear the word submit, we we think of, well, obey, and we think of submitting to one's orders. But again, the word submission means so much more than that and goes beyond that at such a greater and deeper level. The word submission means to, to literally to put oneself under. By the choice of your will, voluntarily putting yourself underneath the authority of the will of someone else. Someone put it this way, the word submit means to voluntarily give in, to voluntarily assume responsibility or to carry a burden for, excuse me, for another. And so Paul is calling us in verse 21 that we are to submit ourselves to each other. We're to put ourselves, he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers, 
He's talking to those who have come out of a, a, a Gentile and Greek culture that's foreign to the Jewish way of life. And Paul is saying, the way we walk in a manner worthy is that we begin to submit ourselves because of the incredibly awe-inspiring thing that Christ has done for us, that we submit ourselves, we put ourselves under so that we can carry their burdens, so that we can assume responsibility, so that we can cooperate and walk with them. And so with that in mind, Paul goes to verse 22. And he begins to unpack what's called the, the household code. Again, coming from the, the Greek, the Gentile culture, in which many of these new believers of the church of Ephesus belonged, the household code was, was kind of the way that, that, that life and family was put together in that day. Within a family, there would be a, a husband and wife, there would be children, and there would be servants. And while we don't have time to talk about were they servants, were they slaves, why didn't Paul speak against this? That, that's a significant, that's another sermon that we don't have time for today. If, if that's curious to you, I'd say go to Philemon and read what Paul has to say in Philemon. And I think you'll see that Paul was certainly preaching and for freeing those who were in slavery, those who were slaves. But Paul is addressing the culture in which the early church is being birthed. A culture in which women and children had very, very little value. They were, they were property that may have been, been traded or, or bargained for between a, with a dad, a, a father. And so when Paul begins, subject yourselves to one another, wives, to your husbands. Everybody goes, well, we sure, of course. But Paul continues. And Paul says, husbands, submit to your wives. And certainly the language is different and the culture is different, but the principle is the same. The principle is that husbands and wives are to live and to walk in a way in which they subject themselves, they submit themselves one to the other. And Paul continues, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, well, of course, children are supposed to obey and submit to their, to their parents. Children obey. Children, submit to your parents, for this is right. And he goes on, he pulls from the, the Ten Commandments and, and talking about that we're to honor our parents. And again, this is the, the commandment, the first commandment, with, with a promise that if you'll honor your parents, that there is blessing to be enjoyed and experienced in this life. But then Paul goes on. <laughs> Can't keep his mouth shut, right? Parents, dads, probably more particular in this culture. In our culture, we would certainly include uh, that as parents, moms and dads. Submit to your kids. Well, what does that look like? It means don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't create a home environment where your children are continually and constantly being berated being made angry, being made to feel that they were a mistake and they don't belong, and what's wrong with you? Parents, serve and submit yourself to your children by how? By loving them and bringing them up in the nurture and the discipline and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't turn them against you. 
For you see, as your children learn to obey and, and to submit to you, that becomes a, a practice ground for them to give their lives and to submit ultimately to Christ Jesus. And Paul isn't through. He continues on because, again, as a part of that, that community, there would be, be servants that would live within the, the compound, the, the, the house, especially for the upper class the Gentiles of, those, of that culture of that day. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 10 of the story of Cornelius, in which Peter goes to Cornelius' house, a, a Roman centurion, and the scripture says that, that the household of Cornelius responded and was baptized. So again, the household, Cornelius' wife, his, his children, and those who worked for him were included in this. Remember, Paul and Silas are in prison. I believe it's Acts chapter 16. They're in prison and, and, and the, the earthquake comes. The, 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 the jail doors are wide open and the jailers begin to fear for their lives. And they cry out. And Paul says, calm down, we're still here. And one of the jailers goes, well, well how can I be saved? And Paul says, to trust and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household so Paul is is dealing with this this household and and certainly as, as as the father in this culture would make a decision to to begin to convert and to move towards Christianity towards being a Christ follower it would impact the whole family the whole household unit and they too would come and be baptized so Paul continues servants Submit to your masters. Well, of course, right? I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. But rather, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. And do this out of reverence, out of respect for God. But he's not through there. He says, masters, masters, submit to your servants. Well, how do we do that? It says, with good service, and we'll render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good, and then verse 9, and masters do the same to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So again, as you see in verse 21 in chapter 5, Paul is declaring to this Gentile culture, that is beginning to convert and to follow Christ, that the way we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is that we do so by learning how to submit ourselves one to the other, regardless of our place or station, our role, our gender in life. We are called to submit ourselves as Christians one to the other. Now notice in verse 30, 32 of chapter 5. Paul, in, in talking about the, the, the submissive relationship of men to, and women, of husbands and wives, he throws another mystery in for us. He says, this mystery is great. The mystery of, of two becoming one in marriage. Of, of man and woman uniting in, in the covenant of marriage and becoming one one flesh. It's as if Paul takes a deep breath and he says, wait a minute. 
there's something greater here that needs to be shared. There's, there's a, even a deeper mystery that needs to be shared. In verse 22 he says, This mystery is great of two becoming one, but I am speaking with reverence, excuse me, with reference to Christ and to the church. Again, in this unique relationship of husband and wife, in this unique relationship of Christ and the church, there's a, a, a relationship of submitting to each other. Christ on the cross, the church in obeying and following after Christ. There's a mystery there that takes place, and there's a mystery that is best revealed, that is best portrayed on this earth through the husband and wife marriage relationship. Several places throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, Christ is called the bridegroom. The church is called the bride. In fact, John the Baptist himself in John chapter 3 calls and refers to Jesus as the bridegroom. And in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as this same bridegroom. Again, this idea of submission to one another begins, I think, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, where Christ gave himself up for us. He submitted himself to us on the cross through his death. But Jesus explains his submission for all of us to know and to understand and to follow in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 45 through 45. Here's what Jesus says. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus, as he's explaining his, his ministry to the disciples, explained his ministry in the terms of servanthood, of, of submission. He came to serve and to, to place himself under the authority To give himself on the cross. And certainly Jesus would say he gave his life on his own will. But he did that in submitting to the Roman authority. And allowing that to happen. Jesus is calling us to a radical new way of life. The call to submission. The call to submission is the call to break the curse. The call to submission, the call to walk in submission to one another is the call to break the curse. Well, what curse are we talking about? I'm, I'm referring to the curse of Genesis and the fall of man. In Genesis 3, verse 16, is the, the passage is, is the last verses there on the, the curse that was given to the woman as a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden. The man's curse comes next. But interesting, in these, this last verse of this first part of the curse, it says, speaking to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This is something new. This is something new that is taking place as a result of the fall. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now turn the page, if you need to, to chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Sin 
is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Interesting, the word desire, the word rule over, and the word master mean the same, or are the same words. So as I, I read 3.16, as I read chapter 4, verse 7, it becomes clear that as a result of the fall, there became this battle between man and between woman, particularly in their marriage relationship, to see who's going to control Who's going to be in charge? And that has created friction and fighting and unhappiness and separation for years and generations and thousands of years. And Jesus comes and he says, instead of fighting over control, instead of fighting over who's going to exercise authority, instead of fighting over who's going to have dominion, then here's what we're going to do in the kingdom of God, and that's to submit to one another. So as we finish today, the mystery of submission is that we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ who submitted himself on the cross. And now we are called to submit ourselves to each other. And what greater witness and testimony do we have in our world than for that to begin in our own homes with husband and wife, with parents and children? And as I would begin to look at the, the part on masters and servants in our work relationships, in our other places where we submit to authority to others. As Christians, we are to practice and model this best in our homes and in our workplaces. The kingdom of God speaks to the world that we are to submit ourselves one to another. Let's pray.